to another episode of Thorn in My Side. This will be episode 56. I'm here as always with my co-host, Ismaya Brown. How are you doing today, Izzy? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I just, uh, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still cracking up. We just had a blooper. Yeah, we did have a blooper, but we 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 uh, re- restarted. But yeah, I had a okay. It was it's been all right. I did a show last night at a biker bar. That was a uh, hmm. it was a set. <laughs> it was a set because you know it's one of those things when you do comedies in bars and stuff like that. If the crowd's not showing up expecting comedy, you've got a bunch of bikers standing outside a bar and a bunch of other bikers in there sitting looking at you. Like, yeah. yeah, we know you're doing comedy, but are you doing comedy? Because we're looking at you like you're not doing comedy. <laughs> but some of us are laughing, and some of like, us are just sitting there looking at you. Like, some of them are on board, some of them are not. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, man. Some it, of them are a couple of beers from yeah. going home and beating their wives. Probably so, yeah. yeah. And I did th- that uh, set. It was, like, not the worst, but not the best. I wasn't happy with it, we'll say. But then I went to Vince's later and ate an edible and went on stage and didn't even do any material. I was up there for five minutes just being <laughs> high as fuck. Not doing, yeah. Like, you think you're doing great and then the no, camera I knew pans I wasn't, out. I knew I wasn't and just, doing And you're great. not even doing anything. I was <laughs> just like standing just up there. there fucking, I don't even know what I did last night. I didn't even do any material, though. You were just standing on stage, and people were like, David Thorne, everybody, give it up. Yeah. (laughs) I don't remember, like, what I did. I know it was, like, when I drove home that night, it was one of those nights where I was so high that my eyes felt dry as hell. I've I've been there. I've done that. Yeah. That's, that's like, that night I, I was doing karaoke with friends, right? Yeah. And I get up on stage, and I was doing Hotel California, and I remember singing... On a dark desert, and then nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Just like fucking nothing. I have no idea how well I did or whatever, but I remember people after patting me on the shoulder and being like, hey, you did good. And I was like, cool, thanks. That's freaking awesome. I can actually play that on ukulele. Fun fact. Oh, it- yeah. You've been practicing them ukulele skills. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's... uh. Should do death metal ukulele. Get into oh that'd be cool. I might have to do that sometime. But let's get into the articles, I guess. Yeah, I got let's a couple articles. Since we're going with the theme, I'm just gonna pick the one we start with. Let me uh get ready to share my OBS so <laughs> we can both know what I'm reading in case I can't read. Hey, that happens from time that, to time. That does happen from time to time. It happens to me too. Um I think that's the one. Yeah, there we go. Do 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 do. I'm loving it. Yep, sponsor us McDonald's and Barnes and Noble. God, we haven't mentioned Barnes and Noble in a minute. Barnes and Noble. This is from my arch nemesis. This first article is. <laughs> <laughs> this, that's Vice for all you longtime listeners. This is from Vice News. This is a total Vice article. Oh, we are definitely going with a theme. This is what why tiny dicks might come back into fashion. Uh, Lies. This is a par for the course Vice article. Lies. Yeah. What? Hey, Lies. I, you're Lies. The, you're, uh, uh, you're the expert. Is <laughs> that I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. It's lies. Tiny dicks will never come back into fashion. Were they ever in fashion? 
No, I don't know. Because, uh, come on, those might not be tiny dicks. Those could be, like, growers, man. Growers, definitely. Definitely, yeah. because, yeah. <laughs> you don't think of, like, the ancient Romans as having, like, you know, like, three-inch dicks. Like, you just don't. Like, yeah. you don't think of Hercules and be like, oh, man, he was hung like a rabbit. Like, you don't. Yeah. Or hung like a gorilla, because, like, to the body, the size of their body, they have the smallest penis of any animal, from what I've heard. Really? Yeah, I think that I think science backs that up. We can look it up later. We'll, <laughs> we'll do a deep dive on tiny penises. <laughs> Which we, it would be pretty shallow, I guess. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> chef's kiss. <laughs> oh god. Anyway, let let's uh let's jump right in. The ideal penis size has grown and shrunk throughout history. Okay. Why tiny dicks might come back into fashion. The modern Western world loves a big fat dick. <laughs> Beyond porn norms and pop cultural glorification holes. <laughs> <laughs> Several studies indicate that the average woman who has sex with men may prefer a larger than average penis. Wait, what? A woman who has sex with men may prefer a larger than average penis. Well, I'm going to tell her as a man that has sex with men, I prefer a larger than average penis too. <laughs> like if you're not if you're not stirring my guts like it's a fucking martini, I don't, I'm not interested. <laughs> oh my god! This next part's in parenthesis. I don't know why I had to tell y'all that, but there has been far less research on the type of penises men who have sex with men prefer on average well we've got an expert here vice so we got you yeah i i like my guts to be stirred like it's a martini <laughs> god damn it <laughs> oh man maybe i shake should just it, tag that shake fucking it. joke fucking shake it not stirred okay like <laughs> I should just tag that part of that joke that never works with that and just gross everybody out. If <laughs> oh, my God. Work. Yes, you yes you should. Yes, absolutely. Please, please take it. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> That's what he, he did say. <laughs> That's what he said. He, he, but except he said it like this. Please, please take it. I'm like, okay, fine. Fine. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the idea of a bigger dick having bigger value is so entrenched that a few evolutionary biologists have even tried to find a deeper reason for it. The enduring sense that a man's worth may be measured by his length and girth leads all too many men who's on average have five to six inch penises to feel woefully inadequate. Seven inches aren't that uncommon, but anything over it is. These anxieties turn in in turn fuel dubious supplement and experimental surgical injuries and yes yeah, yeah and the, and the surgeries for that for everything i've read is just like no awful. i would never do that i'm yeah. i'll just have what i yeah, got I, and I, work I, with I, it. I i'm in the same boat like like i'm comfortable with what i have but like that that's yeah yeah it, mm -mm. come on now it, it couldn't be that great having like a huge one because come on now you, not every woman's every, women are going to be like some women are going to be like no I, I no i'm not doing that that's too big <laughs> So I, I've only had one issue where that was like the case with me, like being with guys, um, where it was just too big. And I was like, you know what? Maybe we should just not and say we did. And the guy was like, oh, but you promised. And I was like, yeah, I say a lot of things. I'm kind of like the fucking Bible. And I get out of my goddamn house, you know? 
So it may be shocking to learn that the ancient Greeks, the ostensible progenitors of Western cultural and aesthetic values, abhorred big dicks. What? In in ancient Greek culture, the proper or beautiful penis is dainty, said John Clark, an ancient (laughs) erotic art scholar of their worldview. A human with very large genitalia, especially male genitalia, is considered to be grotesque, laughable. This preference for petite penises runs back to at least the 8th century BCE, as is reflected in statuary of the area, noted Timothy McNiven, an associate professor at Ohio State University who has studied antique penile depictions and continues straight through most classical Greek art and literature. So he's a dick scientist. So, I mean, like, but also... He's like, I'm, I'm Timothy McNiven, dick professor. <laughs> Timothy <laughs> McNiven, <laughs> dick professor. <laughs> I'm here to profess about dicks, kids. I really love how the video on this is, like, the penis implant. I don't like, want to say and that. That's, and that's, like, yeah, like, I don't want to either. Yeah. But, you know, here's the thing. How do they know? Because, like, you know, as someone who, who has studied art history and is an artist myself... And penises, no. and penises, yeah, for that matter, uh, and penis history. So as you, like art imitates art, right? So like if you if you have something that's like in a theme, and and that's like the consensus of how art should be done during that time, people will mimic it. So how do yeah. they know that like somebody didn't just draw that? Someone saw it and goes, "Oh my god, that's exactly what I want," and then they just ran with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to pull up some grandmother diaries and find out. According, okay, did I did I skip ahead? I missed. Okay, here not. we are. According not. to Clark, this preference endured to some extent well into the Christian era and extended beyond the Greek heartland, touching much of Western history and culture. All of which raises the question of why the ancient Greeks and others were so into small dicks. And when and how exactly the modern cultural elevation of much larger penises emerged. It is possible, said art historian Ellen Ordison, that the Greeks valued the aesthetics of modest penises because their artistic ideals were all about balance. Nothing should be too big or out of balance. Similar quests for balance may account for shrunken or enlarged anatomy anatomical features including dicks in other cultural traditions as well it is also possible McNiven noted that the Greeks may have been reflecting a culturally ingrained and acceptable eroticization of young men in all images of ideal male bodies the underdeveloped genitals align with the lack of body hair male pattern baldness etc in the development of the ideal body type even for adults he said However, more commonly accepted interpretation every art historian interviewed for this article agreed is that the ancient Greeks saw a small penis as a sign of modesty, rationality, and self-control, which they valued and a large penis as a sign of idiotic animalistic lust of a compl- or of a complete lack of restraint. They may have associated dangerously large ling- lingams with animals driven to follow their erections above all else. Half-human creatures like satyrs, 
goats from the waist down tended to be depicted with huge erections, sometimes the size of their torsos, and often drunk off their asses. They were, they were said McNiven. Poster boys for losing self-control. So they were, so they were <laughs> fuck boys, basically, is what he's yeah, saying. Yeah, basically, it's like, it's like the so, party boys have big dicks, I guess. The party boys always have big dicks. Man, that's get, why they're. That's why they're party to boys. Be a party boy, damn it! I, right? Yeah, yeah I know, right? So I mean, bad. all you do is just do drugs and fuck all the time, and that's yeah. gotta be. That's gotta suck. So this article's so unrelatable. <laughs> I know. I, I don't get it. Like, I'm just not. I'm not there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're saying we have big dicks, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It would be easy to dismiss this as an artistic metaphor or an elite value that the wider Greek population may not have shared in sexual preferences expressed in their private lives, but Ordison pointed out some Athenian plays their pop entertainment clearly articulated this elevation of smaller dicks as evidenced by the lionization what Ordrison translates as small pricks in Aristophanes' The Clouds and the use of big erect dicks for laughs in his Lystratra. I don't know, I said that wrong, but whatever. So these values were likely well known by most Greeks over centuries and accepted as something more than an artistic convention or literary literary device. I can't freaking talk today. <laughs> so, you know, I think the other part of it is you, you, you see all of these, uh, I, I guess, like ancient figures of like, you know, Greek... Uh, masculinity yeah, like and, and like all of, of David exactly and and all of them have like these really tiny dicks proportional for their sizes even the paintings of like you know Michelangelo true. and and Leonardo but like all of that they're never painted with like hard dicks though true at the same yeah, time that, they're that, not erect that's they're, true they're that, just that's very flaccid. true and as as you know like cold affects that it, it's true and, and especially I would imagine if you're you know, modeling for somebody for, I don't know how many hours you'd have to model for paintings or statues or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's got to take its toll. Yeah. Yeah. Your, uh, your dink probably shrinks. Some, <laughs> some dinkage. Shrink. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure Michelangelo wasn't like, Hey, let's get a fluffer in here. Like, yeah. He's like, Oh, he's off. I guess I'll have to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> Michelangelo, Michelangelo like drops his paintbrush and he like bends over to pick his up. Like, oh no, I hope nobody tags me from behind. (laughs) (laughs) So it's unknown if the Greeks were unique in their time or place in terms of their penile preferences. One famous Egyptian papyrus satirically depicts ugly men with long and tapering cocks possibly suggesting a similar sense of amusement at which might amaze us today. But that is an isolated image. For the most part, McNiven pointed out neighboring cultures didn't show as much skin in their art or talk about their concepts of an ideal body in their surviving texts. But how do they know that that's also not just like, how do I say this? Like when you're a kid and you're in school and you're bored, you just draw like you know people with big schlongs or you know what I mean. Like yeah. You just draw yeah. doodle, you doodle stupid shit. So how do they know that this isn't just like 
some kind kid of like an, drawing big dicks to right, big, like some artist is drawing big dicks just to just for laughs, yeah. right? Who knows? So similar genital tropes did carry over into subsequent cultures through notably the Romans, whose elites drew heavily from Greek culture in their own art and academics, continued to make stati statues with diminutive dicks like the Greeks. They thought gigantic penises were ridiculous. The carved <laughs> amulets of large penises, sometimes with wings for young men to wear, or had people parade through the countryside with king-sized cock carvings to ward off evil forces with the power of laughter. Clark noted that they especially loved the god Priapus, a scarecrow basically with a big phallus, a guardian originally or of, of gardens and orchards, who punishes transgressors with penetration by his ridiculous and oversized element. I'm going to go chop down a fucking cherry tree. It was a laugh riot. <laughs> That's all I've got to say. I'm going to go, I'm going to go like defile a garden and yep. hope that Priapus comes down and like smites me. That's funny. I'm like, Oh no, Priapus, I'm face down ass up. <laughs> That's the way I like to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So medieval artists likewise occasionally use big dicks to depict evil or heresy, or some scholars believe to provoke a laugh into the renaissance and neoclassical artistic eras ortison said greek style sculptures of modest measure continue to show up as well and classist kirk ormond added it's still possible to find strains of that ancient belief in the impulsive and absurd lust associated with a large penis in modern culture even if small penises don't show up in our art as often think of the derision attached to people following their dicks but also the racist views of black men commonly stereotyped as well endowed as wild lusty subhumans a trope that is shockingly persistent and at all times still explicit in much modern western culture i mean i guess they're not lying yeah i mean that's unfortunate but you know it's just something that i i think um what's the word people fetishize uh i guess and you know it's not okay but like yeah. i mean it's, she, it's not wrong on fucking it's point oh, yeah. yeah exactly exactly so yeah so when big dicks flip from items of grotesque humor and curiosity to idols of desire and admiration Art historians and cultural critics have thrown around all kinds of speculation from the Renaissance with its explicit erotic engravings like the early 16th century Imodi to the modern era and everything bigger, everything better ethos of our hardcore pornography. Okay, that was fun. I'm just gonna, I'm just going to blame it on Ron Jeremy. Yeah. Or John Holmes, maybe. Yeah. Surprisingly, I found out that Ron Jeremy was a creep. Imagine that. <laughs> what? Jo really? Yeah. No. He seems that. like such a stand-up guy. Yeah, I know. There probably was no definitive flip because our conceptions of penis size have always been fluid and multifaceted, as Joseph Slade, a historian of cultural depictions of sex and sexuality, pointed out. Penises are often endowed in art and myth with a sense of power. They act as symbols of <laughs> potency, fertility, and strength. 
when they're a bit ridiculous, they often still retain that sense of admirable force, even in the Greek world, added Ormond. There are times and situations when a large member might have positive connotations. No culture, the experts I've spoken to said, seems to have been as directly enamored with small penises as the ancient Greeks. Counterexamples in Eastern African and indigenous art that features highly stylized or exaggerated visible genitalia can be found in works like Japanese Shunga prints, Congo fertility statues, and Peruvian mochi pots, respectively. Romans and other Western cultures just ran with Greek sculptural tropes or downplayed dicks in tandem with Christian conservatism. The Romans' ardent followers of the Greeks in many ways laughed at Priapus and chiseled little chubbies onto their <laughs> statues in one breath, but in another exalted enormous erections as signs of manliness. David M. Friedman, in his Cultural History of the Penis, a mind of its own noted that Roman generals at times promoted soldiers based on the size of their genital genitals. In private, some Romans apparently saw the sexual appeal of a prodigious penis. There is some indication, noted Ormond, that there were male prostitutes in Rome who were prized for the size of their genitalia. Well, well imagine of course that. there was. Of course there was. Like, I was laughing above because they were talking about, you know, like how some dicks had like kind of a mystical quality about them. And I just kind of imagined like this, like the scene from Star Wars where like he's talking to Yoda and then like there's this giant dick and he's like, go on, touch it. Like <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, hell yeah. All right. So. Roman concepts of the body were different from Greek ideas about size, said McNiven, but the elite class was so involved with Greek culture that the change is not very obvious. This seesawing sense of big dicks as absurd and disgusting or powerful and desirable within the same culture repeats itself throughout history. The medieval age featured crazy dick monsters, but also cod pieces showing off his lordship's mighty junk as a sign of virile power. Nowadays, big dicks can play for humor, menace, or desire, depending on how you frame them. Even today, I think our cultural perceptions of the penis are very complex, said Ordison. It's likely, said Clark, that there were always individuals attracted to large penises despite the negative implications of such proclivities in Greek and Roman thought. Likewise, despite what porn or pop culture might try to teach us, not everyone today actually desires a humongous hard-on. Horror stories about the pain and pitfalls of sex with an overlarge organ. People's actually attractions line up with their own unique anatomies and the sensations they like for getting off. It can move past pop cultural depictions and get in touch with their own wants. Desire is flexible. It doesn't hinge on dick size as much as many men may fear. So, we continue on. <coughs> Let me get a sip of my water. Sorry. Water break. Dicks! Dicks! <laughs> <laughs> the idea of an ideal or culturally desirable dick has always been complex. What occupies the most cultural space likely depends on who possesses cultural power and what trains of thought they're most obsessed with. 
It's definitely not a linear path, added Ordison. There was no point at which social perceptions of penises flipped. Many different perceptions have existed and coexisted throughout history. All in all, there's no real reason to get hung up on dick size or put too much stock in big dick porn and pop cultural depictions of substantial endowment. They are not gospel, but passing cultural moments. No matter what you're packing, there are points throughout history when your dick has been laughable and grotesque, or admirable and desirable. Today, too, it's both of those things. It just depends on how you look at it or carve it for posterity. Vice News. So, like, yeah, no, like, they're bringing you the hard hits. So yeah. All the way from big dicks to donkey fucking, like, exactly. you know, there's... Love Vice. My arch <laughs> I'm gonna get you one day, Vice. I'll get you one day, Vice. <laughs> one day, Vice, you'll see. <laughs> oh, Vice. Yeah, I mean, I can see what they say because porn does give people an unrealistic expectation of penis size, I guess, you know? It, it does, and, and, and see, it can make you feel bad. Yeah, it's just know? like I'm inadequate, and then it's just like one day you find out you're not, and you're just like, what? What do you mean? I it's like, what do yeah. you mean? I've been li lied to this whole time. Nobody ever told me. Like, like I said earlier, like I, I'm, I'm pretty okay with what I'm packing, but like, um, it, it's weird the comments that you get, especially from like I guess gay people, because they want something that's going to be like a gut rearranger, you know? Like, <laughs> they want to stir your guts like a martini. Yeah, I mean that's exactly you know from from my experience that's been what people have wanted. And I think it goes into that whole like perception that you have to be perfect no matter what you do. Like yeah. people aren't allowed to be human, you know what I mean? This they is have true. to they, they have to be like these perfect fetishized versions of themselves. Yeah. It's what like society paints it out. So don't kids, if you're listening, why the fuck are you listening to this podcast? Yeah. And this also, is not... <laughs> porn is not a good... Just because dicks are big in porn doesn't mean you have a small dick. But you probably do, but maybe not. Just... <laughs> like, like, on, like on average, you're probably average. You're probably yeah. not that one dude that I fucked that one time that made me want to throw up. Like, you know... <laughs> Was that the guy with the baby penis? Yeah, yes, that was the guy with it. That was the dude that came that you came over that night. Like and I, I would, yeah, yeah, you were like, this guy's coming over. And I'm like, oh, is it? He's like, it's not gonna be long. And he literally got there in like fucking ten minutes. Not even. It wasn't this. even ten minutes. It wasn't. Yeah, it was like he got there and then he, like he left. Yep. So oh. okay, like this is kind of a funny story. So like we were gonna go to Pulaski. And we were going to hang out and you just got off from work. And so like, I hear you knock on the door. I think it's the dude. I opened the door and it's you. And I was like, oh shit. Ah, oh, no. And so I was like, Hey man, um, can you just wait in the living room for a little bit? And you're like, yeah, cool. So this dude comes over and, um, first of all, he lied. It's never okay to lie, but like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna like, if you're gonna lie, make sure the pictures you're sending are your pictures. <laughs> now keep in mind, this happened in like what? 1998, 1999. Yeah. Um, but you know, make sure that the make sure the pictures you send are you. Uh, so anyway, this dude comes over and like it's like he's sitting there, and I was young. I was like 18, 19 at the time, and um, oh, I just aged myself. And mm -hmm. so um, 
so I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to tell him no, because then that would be rude. So I guess I'm just going to go ahead and have sex with this person that lied to me. And so anyway, I did. And it didn't even take like, I don't even think it took like two minutes. Like really. It was like super quick. Because I was, was like, damn, quick. that was fast. Let's go to Pulaski, guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. He, um, the funny part about that, uh, that interaction was like right before we started having sex, um, he was like. I just want you to know that I'm so into you and you can tell by how hard I am. And I'm like, can I? Nah. Wow. That's yeah. Like, that's cringe as fuck. Yeah, that's exactly what this <laughs> You're just like, shut up and blow out my bussy. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you need to pull this bussy pop out my ass. It's getting cold, okay? <laughs> Make me sound like a Blow out my more. bussy with your baby penis. <laughs> So, okay, I'm going to go ahead and finish the story. You know what I'm about to say, because I've said it many times over the years. His urethra was bigger than his dick. I don't know how that's humanly fucking possible. That's but that's the way I've always... Has it not been always the way I've described that fucking penis? So. And, like, like I, I'm not penis-shaming anybody, but, like, it's the fact that he lied to me on top of, like, all this other stuff. And then, like, after he got there, I just didn't want to do it, but I went ahead with it anyway because I didn't want to be, like, an asshole. And now, you know, since we've had, like, I don't know, the great empowerment, I would just be like, get the fuck out of my house. But, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is good times in Ridgemont High. Anyway... <laughs> We we're got made, a Japanese dick. We're going to talk with about. the theme of small. Well, no, no, I can't say that. I'm not going to say that because that's a stereotype. Japanese so, city to host annual penis festival. You draw okay, your so own conclusions. Was, you racist. Th th this was my this was my article, and yeah. I had no idea that we were doing a penis yes, show. Th this is just happenstance. <laughs> <laughs> this is happenstance. This is a this happy is just, accident. This is exactly. Uh, as I was say, this is just fortuitous luck. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, the synchronicities in the matrix because we're in a simulation anyway we're gonna find out about this penis festival this is april 1st so this is probably april fool's joke i bet yeah this is april 1st i feel but like this is i, I don't i don't think it, i don't think this is april fool's i really don't april 1st they, 2022 they, okay they do have penis festivals i, I do know don't this doubt it I, okay hold on a second if it's a japanese penis festival how are you gonna see it because they're all blurred out well, you can see the penis. No, it's nope. just the pubic hair that's blurred out. What? Really? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what they're blurring, no. is pubic hair. It looks like the dicks, usually. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. But, like, the reason why, I believe, is because of the pubic hair from what I was reading. That's weird. Anyway, revelers in Japanese city are preparing for the Kan Kanamara... Matsuri, an annual celebration also known as the Penis Festival. The Kanamari Matsuri, which roughly translate to Festival of the Steel Phallus, begins each year on the first Sunday of April at the Kaniyama Shrine in Kawasaki. The festival centers around the Shinto god Kaniyama Hiko and the goddess Kaniyama Hime. The deities are associated with the metallurgic arts and sexual health. It's like anvils and anal beads. 
<laughs> hey, is that what those monks are wearing around their fucking neck? Oh yes. my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. I'm a master of kung fu and also anal beads. Exactly. Let me make you sound like a lawnmower. <laughs> All right. So revelers at the festival festival traditionally includes sex workers seeking protection from disease and in modern times the crowd has grown to include lgbtq groups seeking sexual blessings and married couples praying for fertility and healthy children the kaneyama shrine now donates proceeds from the festival to research into hiv slash aids so phallic imagery the event featured phallic Imagery reflected in works of art, edible treats, hats, <laughs> puppets. You want some of my dick cake? And a cost costumes and a parade of portable shrines bearing <laughs> sacred penis-shaped objects. Awesome. Dick cake confirmed. The Kanamara boat Mikoshi, the first portable shrine in the parade, was donated to the festival by the Hitachi Zosin Corp. And features a black iron phallus on a boat-shaped base. The second shrine, dubbed Elizabeth Mikoshi, was donated by the Tokyo-based Elizabeth Kaiken Cross-Dressing Club. The shrine features a giant phallus on a wooden base and is carried by men dressed as women and women dressed as men. The Kanamara Mikoshi, the oldest portable shrines, and the third in the parade features a wooden phallus housed in a square base with a roof. The parade is followed by an event known as the Mochi Nage, which involves Shinto priests standing on a high scaffold, blessing rice cakes, and throwing them into the crowd. Catching one of the thrown rice cakes is believed to carry with it a blessing of fertility. They're up there, like, coming on the rice cakes and throwing them to people. People are like, oh, my God, my pussy's going to be blessed with a baby. <laughs> yes. Visitors who venture inside the Kaneyama Shrine's exhibition hall can review images, sacred objects, and books detailing traditions of sexuality and other festivals around the world dedicated to sex-based deities. Legendary Origins A legend about the Kaneyama Shrine's origins as a location <laughs> for sexual healing involves Kaneyama Hiko and Kaneyama Hime, a healing Aizenami, I can't fucking read that. A Shinto goddess who suffered severe injuries to the lower half of her body while giving birth to a fire god. She got her bussy blown out by a fire god. <laughs> she was cauterized. It was just awful. Another legend associated with the festival holds that a local woman's first two marriages were ended prematurely by a sharp-toothed demon inhabiting her sexual organs. The demon was driven off when a blacksmith constructed an iron phallus to break the evil spirit's teeth. I guess you can say that her carpet had fangs. Ooh. An iron penis mounted on a blacksmith's anvil permanently installed in front of the Kaneyama Shrine pays tribute to the legend. During the Edo period, the 1600s through the mid-1800s, prostitutes based out of inns along the Tokyado Road from Edo to Kyoto would visit, with, visit the Kaneyama Shrine to pray for protection from sexually transmitted diseases. Wonder how well that worked out for them. Probably pretty good, I guess. Modern day. <laughs> 
The shrine continued to be a popular destination for those suffering from sexually transmitted infections. <laughs> Probably not that great, it looks yeah, like. <laughs> to pray under cover of night during the modern age. The leading parishioners at the Kaniyama Shrine to hold the first Kaniyama Matsuri <laughs> in 1969 to allow anyone seeking sexually related blessings from the shrine to do so in the daylight without fear of stigma. So they come to the shrine and start praying. The priest comes up and he gives them like a wafer, but instead of it being like the body of Christ or whatever, it's just like penicillin. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> some fucking Valtrax or something. <laughs> Just like they know what STD you have and they just give you the medicine for it. Yeah. So the event's popularity grew in the 1980s amid the HIV epidemic and exploded in recent years thanks to tourists being drawn in by photos and videos of the festival posted online. Estimates suggest around 60% of the festival's roughly 30,000 revelers in recent years traveled from abroad. The festival announcements are now made in both Japanese and English to accommodate tourists. The, Kata, the Kanamara Matsuri begins Sunday at the Kaniyama Shrine. So that's pretty interesting. I like that's fun. You yeah, know? that sounds like, cool. Like the, they parade around a bunch of bunch of big dicks, I guess. I mean, like that sounds like my kind of festival. Like yeah, I'm totally right. there for it. I liked how they were like uh, members of the LGBTQ community come and like you know they're praying for like sexual blessings, and I'm like I bet they are. I bet they are. I bet, I bet it's similar to how like people at Folsom Street are praying for sexual blessings, and by praying I mean just literally on the on the fucking sidewalk with their ass in the air. Where's Folsom Street? Is that in Huntsville? No, that I believe that's in San Fran. Like during the like oh, that wait like during that fair or whatever that they have every year. Oh, I didn't know there's a Folsom Street, but you're talking about the uh, Pride f f Festival or whatever yeah. they have. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where people are just like literally fucking in the streets if yeah. if uh, if Pornhub is to be believed. <laughs> <laughs> That's not really an Uber driver. They're just in a car. <laughs> uh, but how did he pay if he didn't have his wallet guy how did he get that uber sticker on his window if he's not an uber driver <laughs> i guess we got one more article this that last article was from upi upi.com odd news anyway we're uh moving on moving right along this last article is from ranker what people who have worked with 1990s heartthrobs said about them. It's one of those where we get the hot goss on fucking 90s heartthrobs. I really courtesy, hope that one of them courtesy is like, I, I really hope that one of them is all like, yeah, he was really cute. And then he drove 120 miles per hour directly into a bank. <laughs> all right, let's see. Julia Stiles said Heath Ledger was a giving and gracious actor. Heath Ledger was a talented actor the world lost far too soon. We first fell in love with him as Patrick Verona, the bad boy with a hidden heart of gold and 10 Things I Hate About You. Off-screen, Ledger was known as a giving, graceful, and generous human. In interviews with the movie's cast published by the New York Times, Julia Stiles, Gabriel Union, and David Krumholtz reminisced about working alongside Ledger. Union said, Heath had the ability to look at you and make you feel like Princess Diana, like you died in a fucking car accident. 
fucking <laughs> being chased by paparazzi. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> he made you feel like Princess Diana in a very crowded Hollywood landscape. He could make you feel special and sane. That's a pretty special gift, and I don't think it's talked about enough. <laughs> no, no, like- is that he, he can make you feel like those those paparazzi photos of the of the crash directly after, you know, the ones that are on the cover of the fucking National Enquirer. Yes. To fans, this is what Krumholtz said. To fans, he's a movie star that died to me. He was flesh and bone, soulful, sweet, and I know for a fact he was in recovery prior to his death. He was trying to get healthy. Styles discussing her emotional poem reading scene. I remember Heath, when they turned around to do his reaction shot, he said something like, I don't need to do anything because this isn't about me. A lot of times you get one actor crying in a scene and the other actor feels like they have to cry. And he knew to be sort of restrained. I thought that was really cool. Speaking with U.S. Weekly, Styles also recalled he was so nice. He was such a force. He was, even at that age, a very, very powerful, loving human being. Oh, that's sad. Thanks for fucking bringing us down, Ranker. I, I you know, Ranker, you just have you, you're hit or miss, man. Yeah. Either get better, get good, <laughs> nerd. All right, number two. All right. Rachel Lee Cook said working with Freddie Prince Jr. was a dream. Yeah, I'd like to work with him too. So. <laughs> I was actually watching the Comedy Store documentary about his dad who like killed himself, and he was a stand-up comic. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Freddie Prince was a stand-up comic. Huh. But, uh, yeah, the the Comedy Store documentary is not that bad. I'm going to have to catch up on it. Anyway, yeah, Rachel Lee Cook said working with Freddie Prince Jr. was like a dream. Freddie Prince Jr. was the 90s heartthrob we all rooted for, especially in She's All That. He was cast as Zach, a popular high school jock who turned soft for artsy outcast Laney, played by Rachel Lee Cook. The movie gave us all the feels when Zach lost the cruel bet to turn Laney into prom queen, falling for her irresistible quirkiness instead. In a U.S. Weekly interview, Cook recalled that Prince was a pleasure to work with as she discussed the pinnacle scene when Laney finds out about the bet. You know, these movies are so funny because all of them, every single one of those movies where it's like the nerdy girl that like the hot guy, every single fucking one of them is like, oh man, but she would just take off her glasses, you know? Yeah, like they, They've just freaking mentioned She's All That in every one of these. Like if they do it in the next one, I'm like, they should just call this She's All That. Like what? It's like what it was like working with the cast of She's All That. Do we even care Seven- what she had to say about Freddie Prince Jr.? Let's read it. Fuck it. <laughs> I remember Freddie shooting that scene. I think he really struggled with knowing that he was playing a character who he knew to be good at heart, but is still the same person who did something like that. And I think that made it really difficult for him and made it really beautiful to watch. Working with Freddie is just a dream. He's just one of the most kind-hearted people you could ever want to meet. He's such a giving actor. All right, number three. Rachel Lee Cook found Paul Walker to be talented and way cool. Way cool. He man. was so cool that he was just, you know, the only thing he couldn't do is drive really fast. Man, it's like all these articles are connected by it in some way. It's like the six degrees of she's all that. This is Rachel yes. Lee Cook's in this one too. Uh-oh. 
We'll, we'll see the connection between. Was this written four. by Rachel Lee Cook at the end? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> article by Rachel Lee Cook. Okay, another actor gone too soon was Paul Walker, who passed in a car accident at the age of 40 in November 2013. Walker is most recognized for playing Brian O'Connor in the Fast and Furious franchise. Before he played a street racer, he entered the scene as a teen idol playing the hot jock in the 90s films. She's all that. God damn it. (laughs) Fuck you, Ranker. Just fucking tell us you want us to watch She's All That, God damn it. Quit trying to fucking subliminally get us to watch that goddamn movie. Fuck you, Ranker. Fuck you. I kind of want to watch She's All That now. You're I, ca- I kind of want to. You're, you're trying to knock Vice off that goddamn pedestal and be my fucking arch nemesis, ain't you, you son of a bitch? It's like, wait, wait, wait. He got into a fight with the article? Yeah, yeah, just with the website itself. Like he- <laughs> He's beefing with Ranker now. <laughs> I'm still going to read your articles, Ranker, but I'm going to do it begrudgingly. <laughs> <laughs> the sparkle has faded from his eye just a little bit ranker yeah anyway blah 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 she's all that and varsity blues god damn it following his death thousands of fans hollywood actors share their messages of sadness and fond memories she's a fuck it i'm not reading any more of this because it said she's all that again we don't care what they said about paul walker r.i.p sorry you were a shitty driver <laughs> or whoever you were riding with was a shitty driver the only thing he couldn't do was press the brakes in time maybe you shouldn't have drove 120 miles an hour and not been on a motorcycle and been wesley snipes yeah if you were wesley snipes it would have ended out okay with you because i just got shirley temple for protection all right here's the next all right here we go chris o'donnell says ll cool j is like a brother to him if it mentions she's all that i'm gonna fucking lose my shit (laughs) (laughs) if it mentions she's all that i'm gonna fucking okay but but, okay but okay but it's chris o'connor and fucking ll cool j like it it couldn't (laughs) they have nothing to do with it but watch you watch I there's part of me deep down inside that hopes to God that it says something about she's all that, but I know it's probably not. So I'm going to read on. I, I want it to, too, friend. I want it to, too. Talented actor, musician, and repeat Pete granny. <laughs> repeat. A complete granny award winner. I mean, a repeat Grammy <laughs> Awards host, LL Cool J, emerged as a pioneering rap artist in the 90s. His powerful voice, signature sweatsuits, gold chains, and Kango caps helped to style hip-hop. <sighs> James Todd Smith, his birth name, dropped out of high school in 1985 and just seven years later won his first Grammy for Mama Said Knock You Out, an Great instant song. sensation and rewarding comeback after an underwhelming third album. LL Cool J has fought to stay relevant in both music and film industries, appearing in smaller films and shows throughout his career. He co-starred as a special guest field agent on NCIS Los Angeles alongside Chris O'Donnell. (laughs) Dude, dude, dude. With she's all that's not in here. It can't okay. hurt you anymore. It can't hurt you anymore, man. <laughs> I wanted it. I wanted to be in there so bad. I do. No, I really, really do. It's it's, it's like, <laughs> alongside 
Chris O'Donnell, with whom he developed <laughs> a strong friendship. I want it to over be their I love want, for the, she's all that. Yeah, I was about to say I wanted to be like especially bonded during that scene where they were watching she's all that in NCIS. And I was just like, oh god. That's what that's what we're gonna say it is. So that's the fucking connection to it. That's what they bonded over. Having started all two hundred. In 80 episodes together, O'Donnell joked about the onset relationship and constant I love yous in an interview with Interna- Entertainment Tonight Canada. Who, the same way you would pick on your sibling and drive each other crazy is similar to the relationship Todd and I, LL and I have in real life. I mean, he is someone I have great respect for, and there's a mutual admiration of the movie She's All That. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we also, also love we also love to just torture each other with cheese all that quotes. <laughs> <laughs> They're into some light BDSM too. <laughs> he ties up Chris O'Donnell and makes him listen to his first two albums that weren't so great. <laughs> O'Donnell also bragged about his onset brother. LL is a pretty extraordinary individual. I think that's what he's done throughout his career. The longevity he's had and the ability to reinvent himself in so many different ways and to have his toe in so many different areas of the business and other businesses. How many toes does he have? Jesus. I don't know. It's a lot of toes. So we're at number five. All right, here we go. Keanu Reeves, well-rounded artist, cannot possibly be connected to She's All <laughs> Nothing That. Nothing can't be connected to She's All That. Keanu Reeves has never really been in She's All That. <laughs> a typical actor or celebrity. <laughs> he has set himself apart with his low-maintenance lifestyle and most impressively his integrity and humility. However, he was and still is a Hollywood hunk who has evolved both on and off the screen. From a surfer to a time-traveling teenager and on to a futuristic freedom fire, Reeves' career has continued to mature. He also branched into film production, making him an extremely well-rounded artist. Director Christopher Kennelly, who worked with Reeves in Side by Side, found him skilled in far more than acting. In fact, the documentary which explores the evolution of filmmaking technology was inspired in part by Reeves' curiosity, keenly elaborated in an interview with Tribeca Studios. He was really curious and wanted to know how... About She's All That. Yeah. (laughs) Really curious about She's All That. And he wanted to know how post-production worked and how technology was changing. One day we were sitting in Technicolor and we were watching... The two colorists that work side by side to make sure that the chemical print matched the digital work that we had done. The two guys were kind of characters and there was just this way they talked to each other that was funny. As Keanu and I started talking naturally about a lot of the topics and questions we would eventually explore and side by side he said, you know what, we should make a movie about this. All right, you want to hear a dumb confession? What's that? You're going to fucking love this. Okay, so I, when I was young, I asked my mom when the world became color because, you know, all of the photographs and movies were black yeah. and white, right? I thought Technicolor had made the world color. Whoa, that's awesome. I love it. Maybe it did. <laughs> my mom, she was like, it was about, you're in the 60s. And like, that, that doesn't answer the question, right? Oh. 
So I was just like, wow, everything was black and white before the 60s. <laughs> yeah, that's when they turned the color on. <laughs> that's when Technicolor was invented, yeah. <laughs> was it really in the 60s? Yeah, somewhere like somewhere around that time, yeah. Man, that's crazy. Anyway, we've got a couple more of these. Or should we just stop? Do we even care that should we, should we Crum- just stop? Should do we do we even care that David Crumholtz said that Joseph Gordon Levitt is a good friend? I mean, Joseph Gordon Levitt seems like he'd be an amazing friend. He's but probably I don't really got care. something to do with she's all that. <laughs> I'm I'm sure. Was he in she's all that? Was he? He's probably know. five degrees separation at least. Ah, uh, yeah, probably. Anyway, we don't care about that. Let's just skim through these next ones. If it's anything, yeah, we don't care about Beverly Hills nine zero two one stars. Luke Perry. Luke Perry was, was just nice a really guy. nice yeah, guy. He's dead too. Let's make a sad again. Fucking isn't he dead? He died. Who cares? Yeah, he died. Anyway. Tim Allen said Jonathan Taylor Thomas was shy but wonderful actor. Wow. That's nobody cares, Tim Allen. Why don't you go snitch on somebody for fucking having cocaine and then get out and have a successful career after you send other people to jail? It's kinda shitty, but whatever. You do Yeah, you can be in the Santa Claus afterwards. Yeah, you can be the Santa Claus. In the off season you can go to Santa Cruz and have gay Santa sex. Gay gay Santa sex has got it. Like I kind of want to find out if that's a thing now. Maybe it is. Santa. He's like, you want to come down my chimney? Ho ho ho! (laughs) Come to the Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, leaving from Santa Cruz. (laughs) We're cruising for some pussy bruising. He's like, how many, how many elves can I fit in my bussy? (laughs) Yes. Okay, what number nine? Leah Remy was petrified to work with Mark Paul Gosler. I love Leah Remini. I love her so much. Why was she terrified to work with Mark Paul Gosler? I want to. Maybe he's like some fucking monster. <laughs> I, I want to know. I have to read this one. Okay, read this one. May, I hope to God Mark Paul Gosler is a monster. Anyway, it's a, he's Zach Morris was kind of a monster. Yeah, he was. Anyway. He was a sociopath. Yeah, there's a freaking like used to be someone on Facebook I think that was called Zach Morris's trash. And it just went through like episodes of Saved by the Bell, talking about how Zach Morris was just a piece of shit. He really, really was though. Oh, he was. He was the worst. Anyway, it seemed every team. Oh in the my US, god! Huh? No, sorry, my brain just shot back. Yeah, but at least Dustin Diamond's dead. <laughs> That's fucked. Up. Oh god, he was on your pretty faces going to hell. Now he's probably there. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> We're going to hell for this episode. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm going to hell for that freaking meme I made that I'm going to probably post on Instagram tomorrow because it's Sunday. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm, I can't pe- wait pe- to caption that. If people love that, the one that I posted today, the one I posted today didn't do too bad. It did better the- than the Saddam Hussein one for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay, anyway, it seemed that every team in the U.S. had one thing on their mind on Saturday mornings. <laughs> Masturbating and eating cereal. <laughs> Saved by the bell. <laughs> the sitcom followed a group of friends and the principal of the fictional Bayside High School in California as they navigated school, social, and family life. Mark Paul Gossler starred as Zach, the charismatic and comical teen with sun-kissed hair and a killer smile. His teenage love interest, Kelly, was played by Tiffany Thiessen, of course, fans grew to love them together, so producers knew they just 
could, couldn't just replace Kelly when she left the show in 1992. Instead, Gosler's character was written to fall for his beach club boss, Stacy, played by Leah Remini. For Remini, it wasn't easily following Thiessen. She shared her feelings with Gosler on an episode of his podcast, Zack to the Future. I was petrified. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be this kid's type is he going to be disappointed that they cast me tiffany amber Thiessen is so gorgeous she was like the little mermaid to me and i was just in awe of her face every day showing up like ah she's a little she's a little mermaid i felt like a fat cow there it just felt old and not pretty i was intimidated by you guys oh oh poor leah and she, leah Remini is just she's such a good person i'm so mad that zach morris wasn't a monster fuck and they didn't say anything about she's all that you know this has been a disappointing two, ranker article two strikes ranker <laughs> claire danes was conflicted about leonardo dicaprio great it's cool cool we're, we're gonna finish on that one <laughs> Because I don't care. <laughs> Personally, do you care? I, I don't really care, but I do have a funny story about this. Claire Danes, I believe she said that somebody were asking, like, what's it like working with such a heartthrob? And she was like, he farts a lot. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That is funny. I love it. Anyway, the train's pulled into the station now, kids. You got anything for them this, uh, this day? Because we're gonna, uh, we're gonna do like eight episodes this month because we've been lazy. We're not really yeah. gonna do eight episodes this month, probably. But who knows? We might. We might. You, you never know with us. We might. We might Stay get tuned. addicted to meth and just you and know, just pop out six of them. And you know what? We'll just get disappointed real quick. Why not? Yeah, while let's while do it. Here, let's do that. We're gonna go check the old email at thorn in my side podcast at gmail .com. That's thorn with an e because vowels are important. And it looks like we don't have any emails. But of I did course. give this email out when I was on a podcast today. So I might get an email from them. It was a podcast. I don't even know the name of the podcast that I was on. It was something in Spanish. <laughs> it was something in Spanish. It's Christopher Allen's podcast. And it, it, the name of his podcast is in Spanish, but he's a Jewish guy. and I don't, I, I don't know. He's a weird dude. He's a nice guy, though. <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds like an interesting thing. Where can we where can we find that podcast? Like, do you know? Uh, no. Just I'll, I'll link it. Link Facebook. it to the Facebook page. I'll yeah. Go whenever it's out. But yeah, that was that was our episode. You got anything? You you got stuff going on, don't you? Yeah, I've got stuff going on. Uh, so I have a single coming out on April fifteenth for Bohemian Coffee House. Uh, you can check it out now on my SoundCloud. That's I Z M E I A H, uh, Brown uh, on SoundCloud. Uh, yeah, drop me a line. Tell me what you think about it and uh, all that good stuff. And look for it on, you know, Apple and wherever else fine music or, you know, just music in general is sold. What about you? What do you got coming up? Um, I think I'm on, a, I got a show the 9th of August at Flatlands Brewing in Elk Grove. Um, I, I'm on Social Justice Court with Heather Rogue at Stab on April 15th. I feel like that's going to be a fun one definitely one anything with heather's fine oh yeah it'll be a good time i'm uh i'm gonna be probably playing uh playing it up it'll be fun but anyway that's pretty much all i have i don't have anything you got anything else guy we love you guys and thanks for listening yep thanks for listening guys we love you until next time <laughs>